1: welcome everybody to fantasy football today dfs it's a very special episode even though it's at the normal five o'clock time it's our thanksgiving slate we're gonna do a quick lineup recap it's just me as everybody knows on tuesdays and everybody knows on thursdays it's me and mike but this week We're going Friday. So a little programming note. We're going to have the Thanksgiving slate, obviously, on Thursday. We wouldn't do a show then. Friday at noon, we are going to do our game-by-game preview for Week 12. But first, let's do our lineup recap. Let's do – you know, we're going to talk – when it comes to this Thanksgiving slate, we're going to talk some strategy too, because I think that's really important. We're at least going to touch on some of the things you can do on a three-game slate that has you know, three games tiered one after the other that maybe you can't do on a regular, let's say, afternoon slate, for example. So I think that's going to end up being really important. For those of you that are already in the chat, please go ahead and hit the like button. And I also just dropped something on Twitter. I'm hoping everybody follows Fantasy Football today and my Twitter, uh, which is, of course, at najad. But um, for those of you that are already in here, Drop a note. What, what are you thankful for this? It could be funny if you want. It could be serious. It could be football related. It could be player related. You're thankful for Tony Pollard. That's great. I'm thankful for Tony Pollard too. Although it should have gone a little bit better for me. I'll be I'll be candid from the jump. This was, I actually didn't end up losing too much money, s- curiously enough. And it's because I had Pollard in some lineups, but it really wasn't a great week for me. You know, the Barkley chalk didn't work out. And the Dalvin Cook, slightly contrarian play, certainly didn't work out either. He kind of got game scripted out of that game. Mike Chavez, hello and happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thank you for saying that. Uh, Mike and everybody else, our Thanksgiving contest is live. So this is the three-game slate for Thanksgiving. It is live right now. It is in the YouTube feed. It will be in the podcast feed, for those of you listening. And uh, it's 200 deep. So we're going to try to fill that thing up, and we're going to do the same thing. $5, and you guys know how it works, or you guys and girls know how it works. Top 30 get paid out. I do want to give out a shout-out to JJ Gosh who won last week, and we're going to go over his lineup in a second. But without further ado, let's get started. Let's just do our lineup recap. A little underwhelming on my side. You've got my cash lineup here, and you see, where's the green? Well, the only green you see is the is the zero. This is probably the second week I'm ballparking, and I think this is the second week I did not cash in, in my – cash lineup usually I do one or two cash lineups I believe last week it was one this week I had two and frankly neither of them cashed and they looked very similar Justin Fields at quarterback I don't think anybody would have any particular objection to that Dalvin Cook at running back Saquon Barkley at running back Darnell Mooney Paris Campbell Nico Collins Foster Moreau Antonio Gibson Steelers D I think if you look at this lineup you can tell right off the bat it's it's a pretty bad cash lineup if I'm being honest my whole thing with Dalvin Cook at just three percent ownership was I thought he was going to smash. I had his over on our prop show uh, on the early edge. I had his over of 98 and a half rushing and receiving yards. And frankly, he would have hit it really easily if somehow Minnesota could have stayed in striking distance in this game. They didn't. Dalvin Cook really didn't get any run. For the record, 72 yards was on 11 carries. So he was bordering on seven yards per carry but he didn't get the targets he got last week uh, or the week before the week before. He had been averaging six, six, or the last three games prior to this one, six targets, six targets, and five targets. So as much as people wanted to play David Montgomery, and I get it, and I should have played him in cash too because he was far cheaper and we knew he was getting the volume. That was really my big mistake in this lineup. But I, I, I should have played Montgomery, but Dalvin Cook was getting similar volume and he was getting similar passing volume. And that's why I just kind of went against the grain in my cash lineup and played Dalvin Cook. Didn't work out. I don't really regret it. I probably, you know, if I pay down for Montgomery, I can pay up off of Nico Collins or Paris Campbell, but they didn't actually ruin me. Again, if I have the money, I go up to Amari Cooper and this lineup with Amari Cooper and David Montgomery, this lineup probably cashes. So we don't need to spend too much time on it. Again, Antonio Gibson, not a great cash game play. I'll just, I'll just be honest with you. This was, this was poor construction by me. It was one of the few times that my cash lineup just has not been very good. And I am happy to admit that. Uh, Let's go next to, and if anybody has any questions, put them in the chat. Reminder, everybody in here, tell me what you're thankful for this year. Again, you can be funny if you want. I'm not trying to be like Captain Serious necessarily, but funny, serious, whatever the case may be. I want to know uh, what everybody is thankful for. I'm thankful for Mike McClure. Um, I do shows with him on The Early Edge. I do content with him on Sportsline, and I do this show with Mike McClure, as everybody knows, on Thursdays. This week's it's going to be Friday. Let's look at his GPP lineup. You know, this one didn't really hit any home runs either. Again, we're happy to concede that we didn't have a great week this week. And you know how hot we've been the last three weeks. We've been really, really good for the most part. We've had like three or four near takedowns in very big tournaments. And this just wasn't our week. He had Justin Fields, Jonathan Taylor, who started out so good and then just completely flatlined. Deion Jackson got a little bit more work than I think people expected. And Jonathan Taylor got shut down after the first drive. First drive, he probably had I don't know, 40, 45 yards and a touchdown. And it looked like it was all systems go against that Eagles defense that allows a lot through the running game. So Justin Fields, Jonathan Taylor, Ramondre Stevenson, I might've been the only guy in the world that wasn't big on Ramondre Stevenson, or at least I thought, and then I see this 11% ownership uh, in the GPP. So I guess, I guess he wasn't super chalky after all, Stefan Diggs. Um, you know, Mike likes him this week. I can tell you that for the Thanksgiving slate, um, 28% ownership. Again, this is a GPP lineup. Terry McLaurin. We know how much he liked that. We were both on Nico Collins. Stole with uh, the Eagles. You know, that's kind of a flyer play. It was only 2,500, so you're hoping he gets a little something, and he barely did that. So that one didn't really work out, but it did allow Mike to do some things at the quarterback and at the running back position and, and getting Stefan Diggs as well. So this lineup didn't work out. He goes double tight end again, which we've been doing constantly. And it's been working, not just for us, but for you all listening too. It just didn't work out this week. Cole Komet wasn't the guy. Fields should have had a better game. Uh, let's be honest about Fields. He got injured in the second half, and it was pretty serious. And I, I don't know about his viability the rest of the season. I'm not saying he's not going to play. I'm saying the injury looked of the nature and this is somebody who's dislocated their shoulder seven times, and I'm not trying to play doctor just because I've done it. Like that doesn't mean I know what his grade of dislocation or separation was. Those are two different things. But yeah, I, I don't know that you you run Justin Fields out the rest of the season, and if you do, I don't know you have that you have those design runs that we've been seeing uh, over the over the last five or six weeks so that's something to consider whether you're in redraft or if you're in redraft you got to hang on and hope right but if you're in dfs it might be time to maybe try to hop on somebody else especially if he somehow stays popular saints defense um didn't really help given they were three thousand. getting five points is not where you want to be paying three thousand for a defense but again this lineup didn't cash let's go to my gpp lineup finally we're going to see some cash here um we did win money. Well, actually, I didn't win money. I ended up down like a hundred bucks, if I'm being honest. But at least I had some lineups that kind of carried me through a bad week. So I'm ha- like, if I'm if I'm leveraging, you know, I don't know. I'll just ballpark it. You know, five six hundred, and I only lose a hundred on one of what I think is one of my worst weeks in terms of roster construction. It, that's okay. And that should be okay with you too. And again, that's why you play the cash games. Cash games didn't work out for me this week, but anybody who's been listening to this podcast, you've probably been doing really well in the double ups. So you may not want to do it on the Thanksgiving slate because with that three game slate roster construction can be a little shaky, a little different, a little counterintuitive. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying if you play double ups, this might be the week to just take a pass. But if you're confident about volume and plays and your roster construction, run it out there. I'll probably run one out there too. I'm just saying I'm not going to be as big on cash games this particular week. Okay, we've got my GPP lineup. It's Justin Fields again. And let me, let me tell you this, full disclosure. I told you I had a pretty bad week. In the FFT DFS contest, I had my stack. I had Josh Allen to Stefan Diggs, which for the record, we'll talk about the Thanksgiving slate. I like it again. But it did not work out, obviously. So full disclosure, Justin Fields wasn't in every lineup. You can go back to the FFD DFS contest and look at my lineup. It's bad. It's it's just not a very good lineup. I was hoping, you know, Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs could have that explosive game, and it just didn't work out. But this lineup ends up cashing Justin Fields, Dalvin Cook, Devin Singletary, A.J. Brown, Paris Campbell, Nico Collins, Dawson Knox, who ended up getting there late in the game, Tony Pollard, and Steelers defense. So no secret here, right? I got there because Justin Fields had a pretty good game and Tony Pollard had an amazing game. And it's just evidence that if you get in Tony Pollard, 5.7%, I think we addressed this on the Thursday show, Mike specifically, that because of the Zeke situation, it might be a good time to play Tony Pollard because people just weren't sure how that was going to shake out. For the record, they both got 15 carries, but Tony Pollard Tony Pollard outsnapped Ezekiel Elliott two to one, like 40 to 20. And obviously he got a lot of the, the passing work and the high-end passing work as well. And he's better than Ezekiel Elliott. So if you're operating at a two-to-one rate, um, you're probably going to make something happen. So um, this was a lineup that I didn't mind at all. I played the chalky defense, but if Dalvin Cook has the game that I expected him to have, if this game ends, let's say 35 to 17, which isn't super far-fetched, even in a blowout, that is a blowout. I think Dalvin Cook you know, doubles or triples this production against a Dallas defense that was letting up a ton of yards that we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks. So that is my GPP lineup. Fortunately, it cashed, and we can move on. You guys know I was big on Paris Campbell and Nico Collins. This was one of those situations where I was willing to play both of those guys in GPPs just because I thought the volume would be there. It took a while for both of them to get there. Although Paris Campbell, like he almost fell into the end zone. He, he caught a ball late, a long ball. I think it was like a 34-yard gain. And he kind of stepped out at around the three-yard line, probably because of a bad throw by Matt Ryan where Paris had to hold up a little bit. But with that said, he got there and he could have had an even more explosive game. I I think Paris Campbell is a guy we should all have our eyes on the rest of the way. Nico Collins, not so much. I mean, he ended up getting there. I had a Nico Collins prop on the early edge that ended up getting there. It was the Darnell Mooney prop that didn't. I had Mooney. I had, and this is receiving over. I, I had Mooney. And I had two other guys, Nico Collins and Paris Campbell overs. And Mooney's the one that didn't get there, interestingly enough. And Justin Fields missed him on a bomb in the first quarter. And that was just too bad. That would have changed the entire slate for me because I did have a lot of Justin Fields and a decent amount of uh, Darnell Mooney. All right. So we got two GPB lineups and a cash lineup we went over. But let's go to JJ Gosh. He is our winner of the FFT DFS contest with 168.34 points. Really sneaky stack here thankful for finally winning this contest oh jj gosh oh good so not only is he good at dfs but he's good at following instructions he everybody if you haven't already tell us what you're thankful for in this chat and jj nice lineup i think you know the the daniel jones stack with slayton is not only sneaky last week i don't know it, 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 i don't want to say it's sneaky this week it could be just a, a complete crash and burn against that dallas pass pass rush but I mean, there's not a lot of options and because we'll get to the Thanksgiving slate because a lot of people are going to be playing Josh Allen, whether it's naked or stacked, you know, likely stacked because the pricing is pretty affordable. You can double stack Josh Allen with, with Diggs and Gabe Davis. You can throw in Dawson Knox. You can do Devin Singletary. You might even throw in a sneaky 4,400 James Cook. We'll get there. But I think, you know, after Dak Prescott, I think the next best option is Daniel Jones. And can he get some rushing yards against this pass rush? I think the answer is Yes. He is completely depleted at receiver, and that should keep his ownership relatively low. So, you know, to me, it's an interesting contrarian play. Am I playing it in my name in my main most expensive single entry? You know, probably not, but I I think it's a decent play because, oh, by the way, all the receivers you can pair with Daniel Jones are really cheap. Slayton's five thousand again on this slate, but because of the injuries, we can go to guys like Richie James, Kenny Galladay, maybe not so much Isaiah Hodgins. uh, He's a flat three k. You know, he might actually get some, some reps. He might get some receptions like he did last week. These are options, whether you're stacking them with, with Daniel Jones or not. So there, there are some, there was some relief at the wide receiver position. You just got to kind of get lucky, but JJ gosh, Daniel Jones, David Montgomery, Devin Singletary, Amon Ross St. Brown uh, is, is so good. And he's just not finding the end zone yet. And he's so close. If everybody, those of you that watched the Detroit, New York giants game, I mean, He's so close to the end zone on on some of these targets and some of these receptions, and he's just not getting there. And you can tell he's mad. He's really frustrated. He'll get stopped at the two, and anybody would be frustrated getting stopped at the two. But you can tell there's a little extra frustration for Amon Ross St. Brown. So I think it's a great week to play him, whether you're doing a Josh Allen stack or not. I think it's a great week to get some piece of Amon Ross St. Brown in Detroit and run it back with probably Stefan Diggs. Um, If you don't want to do that, obviously, I just named all the other guys you could potentially do a skinny stack or a full-on stack with. And for the record, it's not just Amon Ross St. Brown on the Detroit side, obviously. We'll get to some of the players that have some sneaky value. Uh, Darius Slayton, I already mentioned, paired with Daniel Jones. Donovan Peoples-Jones keeps getting there. Uh, I played him a little bit. I didn't play him enough. You know, hand up for me on that one. Mark Andrews just didn't pay off his price tag. We see the snowflakes there. Tony Pollard, excellent, excellent play at 2% in our tournament. So, this is one of those things where, you know, it it makes me wish we did like a like a Sunday morning show. I will say this: we do a Sunday morning show. It's just not FFT DFS. And I addressed Tony Pollard in that show, among other DFS plays. So little cross promotion here. We do our show Tuesday, Thursday. A lot of the industry does that. We do the early edge full slate, We, we cover the full slate, all our bets, all our props, all of those things. I interrupted that podcast on several occasions to give some DFS analysis, and Tony Pollard was one of those guys I mentioned. So I I strongly encourage you to watch The Early Edge, because Mike McClure's on there all the time. I'm on there all the time. Jonathan Coachman, prop stars, you name it. It's a a cast of RJ White. There's Larry Harstein. There's so many brilliant minds at Sportsline on The Early Edge. And if you watch that 12 o'clock show, I always always, always on, again, this is the Early Edge YouTube channel, drop some DFS nuggets that are kind of like late-breaking things that I think are important. Tony Pollard was one of those. So, you know, him being 2% owned, it makes me feel like we dropped the ball a little bit. I know we talked about Tony Pollard, but again, this is what happens when you have a split backfield and you're not sure what Ezekiel Elliott's uh, rushing share is going to be. The bottom line is Tony Pollard is so explosive. So you can justify playing him on pretty much any slate at this point. So Steelers defense didn't do uh, JJ gosh, any favors, but excellent lineup. Not, not a super impressive score. This was a very weird slate. A lot of the chalk just didn't really get there. Even David Montgomery who got a ton of volume, you know, we don't see fire emojis there. i Ross St. Brown uh, seven receptions and still only 15 points. Like there was cause for some of these guys to be explosive and it just didn't happen, but you have Daniel Jones, you have Tony Pollard, And you can absolutely get there. So really, really nice lineup from J.J. Gosh. And man, I think we're ready to talk about the Thanksgiving slate. But first,
0: we're going to hear a word from our partners. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
2: Oh. Okay, Dad. Let's get that rating up.
0: The game has some sort of power
2: over me. He went from rickety old man oh. 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 to some kind of superhero overnight. Some questionable dance moves. What are you doing? I'm just pressing some buttons.
0: What is the secret?
2: He's playing a lot of Madden.
0: Fantasy football original movie streaming November 25th. I got my butt back. What? what? On Paramount Plus. Don't stop watching Leo Messi, the man, the myth, the legend, Tushy! the ghost. Totally the UEFA Champions League stream PSG matches live February on Paramount Plus.
1: We are back. Uh, let's talk about the Thanksgiving slate, The three-game slate. We got the, the, the 12 o'clock game or 12-ish game. We got the mid-afternoon game and we got the night game. That's how most of the Thanksgiving slates have been going. I think during COVID, we might have missed a night game one of those COVID years. Glad we have largely emerged from that. I'm looking at the chat real quick. And by the way, Frank, you can feel free, if there's any interesting comments, just throw them up there. I, I may not comment on your comment, but I, I like to see most of these comments, especially the thankful ones and, and the ones that Thankful I didn't draft Keenan Allen for Mike Hoyt. Uh, Yeah, fair enough. I have no Keenan Allen in my redraft leagues either. Holly says, thankful for green bean casserole on Thursday. Okay, that's a reference I don't get. Or maybe it's not even a reference. Maybe you just love green bean casserole. But Holly, thanks for being in here. If you have any questions about this slate, let us know. Andrew, thanks for being in here. Everybody hit the like button if you haven't already. And if you haven't reviewed this podcast, please do that. It's so easy. Go to Apple Podcasts if that's where you... If you get this content and you literally just click five stars, you can say a few words if you want, even if you say a few words, it takes like nine or 10 seconds. That's, that's a literal, literal number there. So uh, Mike Chavez, a big fan of this show. I really, really appreciate you, Mike. He says, I am thankful about not having to worry about starting Kyle Pitts on my team anymore. So that's interesting because, you know, we're coming off or I'm coming off what what I thought was a subpar week, particularly in my cash games, the tournaments was fine. And it's fun to like, during those weeks to go back and ask you, Mike, and everybody else, like we weren't big on, we weren't big on Kyle Pitts this year. We weren't big on Sky Moore this year. There was a lot of guys that and that doesn't mean we were right about everything, but um, I'm thankful for you as well. Uh, I didn't, I know, you know, we might've mentioned Kyle Pitts here and there, maybe as kind of an afterthought at tight end, but I'm not sure I played Kyle Pitts at all. If I did, I might've played him one week because of the, the value was there, but yeah, this just, you know, At a certain point, you got to cut your losses. And now, unfortunately, because of an injury, uh, we're cutting our losses, at least this year with Kyle Pitts. I hope he ends up in a better situation next year with maybe Desmond Ritter, perhaps. I like Mariota, but it's not helping the passing game. Drake London, Kyle Pitts probably have some upside that is completely untapped. Um, Just looking at any other comments in here. Ricochet shots, good lineup, but a poor score, LOL. Okay, I don't get that, but that's probably in response to Andrew Kim. All right, Thanksgiving slate, before we get to the Bills-Lions game, which is the first game, it's the highest score, 54-point total, very large implied totals for really both teams, but especially the Bills. Let's talk about the Thanksgiving slate just a little bit. First of all, keep late swap in mind. We, We always tell you that, to keep late swap in mind, but I think it's even more critical during these slates where you have games that don't overlap each other. So you really can get it in... That's sort of always the case in the early and the afternoon slate. But when you get to the afternoon slate, you don't get the benefit of like deciding in the middle of the slate. On this slate, you get the benefit of, okay, one game's over. What do I need to do? And so keep that in mind. If you're running hot after game one, maybe stick with what you got, maybe do a duplicate lineup. I know this is a Mike McClure special where let's say you're doing a three max and two of those three lineups are the same lineup, same players. And let's say just hypothetically, they don't have to both be doing well, but let's say they're both doing well and let's say they, they have a little bit of chalk on them. So you can keep one lineup. And then that second lineup, again, that's identical. Go ahead and sh- shift some stuff around and then maybe get off. Cause, cause that's going to give that particular lineup some, some basement potential, but it's also going to give it some ceiling potential too. So this is the type of slate where you can do like kind of funky things like that, weird things like that. And, uh, have some fun with it. It's kind of fun, right? If you have a duplicate lineup that's doing well after the one the one o'clock game or the the early game, and then all of a sudden you get to make some uh, arrangements, but you still keep that good lineup in there. Uh, let's see. Leave the. This is an obvious one, but some people might just overlook it. Leave the flex spot open to the extent you have players, which you will, going in the afternoon game and the evening game. Make sure that flex spot isn't, isn't taken by like Stefan Diggs, for example, by somebody in the early slate because it leaves you inflexible, if you will, to make a change if you have to, to get off chalk if you have to, because you're not doing very well, or for whatever reason you want to make a swap. So leave that flex spot open so that you can do certain things. It's not just going to be the flex spot, right? You're not going to have all your players in this Bills Lions game. So you'll be able to like take out that flex spot if you want to make a change and take out a couple other spots like tight end, wide receiver, and just kind of mix and match according to how well your team is doing and you know what you think is going to happen on the slate from a from a chalk and game script standpoint. Uh the only other thing is get weird. Seriously, like get weird with your construction. I, I think some of the rules that we would normally have on like a 10 game slate or even like a six game slate, they don't really apply as much here. So you can hyper correlate a lineup if you want and just smash the bills and load up on, on four players there or whatever or whatever game you like. You can play a player like a wide receiver or a running back against a defense. If that's how it shakes out, listen, they they both can succeed. But the bottom line is if that's how your roster construction has to be, That's okay on a three-game slate. So definitely keep that in mind as well, that you don't have to kind of apply to the ordinary course of rules and regulations on a slate. Derek Graham has a question. Does avoiding the chalk and playing contrarian help give an edge, e.g. Jared Goff over Josh Allen? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it does have an edge, 100%, especially on a slate like this, where we're going to see guys like Josh Allen at like 40, 50, 55, 60% potentially on the three-game slate. I mean, I haven't looked at the numbers, but he is going to be very, very highly owned because people are going to want to play Josh Allen in spite of the fact that he's been a little cold over the last four games and hasn't been rushing quite as much. But you get to play Detroit and Detroit's back end, which isn't very good. And you got Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis, both of which are getting, should be getting plenty of targets in that game. Uh, yeah, I think Josh Allen is in a smash spot, but yeah, this is the, this is the slate to get weird. And... Jared Goff, they have a pretty high implied total. It's over 21 and Jared Goff is at home and Jared Goff to Amon Ross St. Brown and Khalif Raymond, for example, at 4,100. Well, that certainly makes sense, especially if you conclude that it's going to be yet another game that Josh Allen isn't going to pile up the rushing yards because he hasn't been doing that. Whether that's injury related or not, I'm not sure. But yeah, you could absolutely. So Derek, that's a great question. Whether it's in, listen, is Jared Goff going to be in the winning lineup? I'm not necessarily saying that. I'm saying that this is an opportunity to play Jared Goff and just fade half of the chalk like the, the the Josh Allen plays. You know, it's going to be probably Josh Allen, then Dak Prescott, and then I'm guessing I'm trying to think of who would come after that. It would probably be Jared Goff and then Daniel Jones. That's my guess. But Jared Goff and Daniel Jones are not are not going to have much ownership at all. It's all going to be Josh Allen. And then people, they don't want to play that chalk. They're just going to hope Dak goes off and peppers guys like CeeDee Lamb and Dalton Schultz and maybe even Tony Pollard like he did last week. So excellent question, Derek. This is exactly what I'm saying when I'm talking about getting weird. Do not be afraid to play on this slate. D- don't forget, we have a week 12 slate, which we're going to be on live for at 12 o'clock on Friday. So that's going to be the slate where you're going to Want to play with sort of the ordinary rules? So you have kind of two bites at the apple from a bankroll standpoint. Maybe you don't want to spend all you know your your typical bankroll on this three-game slate, obviously, because we, we got a slate you know four days later. Something to keep in mind. But if you're going to speculate on plays, this is the slate to do it. And if you want to play chalk, I think you can really this year you've been able to get away with it on the full slates. You just have been. So um, great question, Derek. And I think that's pretty much it. Um, leave money on the table that's something you can do. And for the record, pricing isn't super prohibitive. I mean, it is, there's certain guys you can't really fit into your lineup, especially if you're playing like, let's say Josh Allen uh, to Stefan Diggs or something. But if that's not your stack, you can do a lot and you can get a lot of contrarian plays in there or plays that I think are going to end up being contrarian. And these are like superstars potentially. So um, we'll get to that in a second. As far as the bills at the lines, again, 54 point total, Lions can't really get off the field on third down. Um, Bills should move the ball really, really easily. Uh, I, I think the running backs are, I think anybody's in play, but I think the running backs are in play here, Singletary and James Cook. I could, and, and I'm trying to like game strip this, right? Uh, you know, Singletary has been getting about 60% of the backfield work, which probably isn't as high as you think. I mean, it's it's honestly the last three games, I think it's closer to like 63%. But the point is, James Cook is getting touches, and they're not just at the end of the game when it's a blowout. He got 11 productive productive carries uh, last week. And in this game, with a 10-point spread and such a high total, I think James Cook could be peppered in at the front end of the game, but certainly in the back end of the game if this game ends up being a blowout. And I think you can play James Cook with, for example... Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen. And that might seem a little counterintuitive from a game script standpoint, because the implication from James Cook is that, well, it's going to be a blowout. Josh Allen's not going to be playing a lot in the fourth quarter. Well, what's he going to do the first three quarters? You know what I'm saying? Like there's not a lot of quarterbacks to choose from here. So I think there is a game script where Josh Allen peppers, Stephon Diggs and or Gabe Davis, Dawson Knox, I'm not super high on, but, but that's fine because his price is right. But I think there's a, a situation where James Cook maybe ends up with 14, 15 carries, or maybe even it's just 11 or 12 carries, but he gets in the end zone and gets choose up a bunch of yards like he did last week. So he's ahead of Naheem Hines. And I think at his price, he makes sense as a highly speculative play. And I'll tell you, I'm going to be playing him. And maybe you play him without Josh Allen. You really leverage the field, right? You play James Cook and maybe one of the pass catchers. And then you get on to that you get onto Jared Goff or you get onto that Cowboys-Giants game, something like that. So those are all things you can do that are very unique that you might not normally do on like a single entry or a three max. Uh, Stephon Diggs, not a great game last week. I'm not really worried about that at all. Um, I will say that he eats up man coverage and the Lions play a lot more man coverage than most teams. Uh, The Lions pressure a lot too. And and I, I absolutely could see both Gabe Davis and Stephon Diggs getting loose against that style of defense. Um, Gabe Davis has been getting a ton of targets too. I, I think this is something that's sort of lost on people because we're not paying as much attention to the bills. Gabe Davis is only 5,300. He's averaging almost seven targets per game over his last six games. If I had told you that over the last two games, you'd have been like, Oh, that's, that's a nice little trend. I just told you it's over the last six games. So I think Gabe Davis is in a really, really good spot to absolutely take the top off of this defense. And maybe it's the Gabe Davis game where he gets two touchdowns and you know, 99 yards, 105 yards or whatever it is. And, and he does it on four or five, six catches. So I think Gabe Davis is a, is a really interesting play to to play instead of Stefan Diggs or in addition to Stefan Diggs and of course, Josh Allen. If you're playing both of those receivers, you're going to want to play Josh Allen as well. Even on this three game slate where you can get kind of weird, I, I would play Josh Allen with those two guys for sure. And then on the other side, we talked about it when we did our recap. I'm uh, on Ross St. Brown. Is, he's just, he's getting all the targets. I mean, he's like literally getting all the targets. He is... His target share has been so good. He's coming off the bum ankle, but he looks pretty healthy. They're certainly peppering him like he's healthy. And the touchdown variance is going to come. And by the way, the bills have led up a ton to number one wide receivers, uh, including last week to Amari Cooper of all guys. And Amari Cooper's good. Don't get me wrong. And, you know, we all know about his home road splits and all of that stuff, but you know, uh, Amari Cooper, like I'm not so sure he's Amon Ross St. Brown or any of these other receivers that have, that have cooked the bills over the last number one receivers that have cooked the bills over the last two games. So, I think that's pretty much it on that game. I think this is a game you're going to want to stack, but I also think it's a game that everybody else is going to want to stack. So my thought is don't just do Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Amon Ross St. Brown run back because that's what a lot of people are going to do Uh, at, at like, this is a 54 point total. It could absolutely murder the other two games from a total standpoint. You know, it's, it's almost 10 points higher than that Giants Cowboys game. And it's, it's well over 10 points higher than the night game. Which of course is Minnesota and the um and the New England Patriots. But don't be afraid to throw in Khalif Raymond or Dawson Knox if that's what or James Cook. Like I just get, you know, get weird with your roster construction. If you really believe in this game and you don't want to make a contrarian play, then believe in it and load up. Put five players in this game if you want, because this game could absolutely go off. And if you put the right pieces in there, the right value pieces, you will still be able to get some of the pieces that I like in this Giants Cowboys game. Um, I'll just say right off the bat, you know, we talked about the Daniel Jones stack. It's, you know, it's one of those where am I playing that in my single entry or three max? I mean, yeah, maybe because it's the three game slate, but I'd be more inclined to play that in like a 20 max, like a $3 20 max or whatever, whatever you all are like playing $5 or, you know, whatever it is, because I do think Daniel Jones has some rushing equity if he can break the pocket, which he's going to, he's going to have to do if if the Giants are going to survive this game, Daniel Jones is going to have to break the pocket and he's going to have to get some rushing yards. And you compare Daniel Jones. If you want to do the stack, you can pair him with Darius Slayton, who's likely to be a little bit popular. I probably won't be playing as much of Darius Slayton, depending on practice reports, as they relate to Richie James, who I expect to play. He's 3,400. Guys like Isaiah Hodgins, a, a flat 3K. If I have to throw him into a lineup, I'm not going to be afraid to do that. Um, you know, what is he good for? Like last week, I think he had, what do you have? He caught three of three targets. He also had a fumble. But he's a pretty good player. 6'4", 210 pounds. He used to be with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, his, his hands are pretty good. I mean, I'm sure he dropped some balls, but I've seen some really great catches from Isaiah Hodgins and some really good contested catches too. And honestly, this is a game where, you know, we might see Daniel Jones throwing up some 50-50 balls. And if it's not to Slayton or Galladay, which I don't think it's going to be, I, I think this guy Hodgins at 6'4", 210, could come down with a couple balls and, and, and get lucky for your lineup. But Dallas defense is so good. I think Dallas is one of two defenses I'm very much interested in. And again, this isn't breaking news, right? Dallas is just getting such a great pass rush. They were so good against Daniel Jones the last two times these guys played. And if it's not Dallas for me, it's the New England Patriots. So those are going to be popular defenses. I'm not really worried about playing popular defenses versus playing popular stacks. Popular stacks that are just isolated like everybody else is playing. So I think that's something to keep in mind. Like I'm just going to go ahead and play um, the Pats and the Cowboys in a lot of constructions and have, I might have some Giants on the run back there. I might play the Cowboys D with Tony Pollard, for example, and I might have Hodgins or Slayton. You know, that that's that's okay on this slate. I can't stress that enough. By the way, any of you that are new in here, please go ahead and hit the like button if you haven't already. Oh, so it's funny. Hey, Frank, can can you come on real quick and, and clarify the green bean casserole? I, I, apparently, I am not well-versed in Thanksgiving, so I'm going to apologize to, to whoever brought up the green bean casserole, but that's a Thanksgiving dish, huh?
2: That is indeed a Thanksgiving dish. So when you're talking about it, I'm like, <laughs> see, I'm like yelling at you. I probably should have just popped on and and, and reminded you, but yeah, it's a popular Thanksgiving dish. So you, I think yeah, you, uh, we could potentially see some of those here in the chat, you know, whatever Thanksgiving dish people are are thankful for this Thursday.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good call. Favorite, okay, I have one for everybody. Um, I don't know how many likes we have uh, or, or how many people are watching, but those of you that are watching, Cranberry sauce, yay or nay? I'm a big nay on that, and I know there's like really strong opinions. And for the record, we've got an audience in here, and I know Adam Azer and the Fantasy Football Today crew uh, talk about Die Hard a lot. Die Hard a Christmas movie or not a Christmas movie? Frank, I am, Die Hard's not a Christmas movie, and a nay on cranberry sauce. Where right. where do you stand?
2: So we're one for two on these here. Cranberry sauce, completely agree with you. I. I have the palate of a twelve-year-old, so you know, give me all the mac and cheese, the dark turkey, the ham on Thanksgiving. If you have chicken tenders, I'll eat those too. But alas, Die Hard, great movie, great Christmas movie. So we'll go one for two there. See ya.
1: I just it, it doesn't make any sense to me, but I'll, I'll you know I think I'm in the minority there, so that's fine. Uh, I'll tell you what, my Thanksgiving dinners, like with my family, sort of back in the day, my my mom and dad, that that family. They were pretty much, and I loved them, it was delicious, but they were relegated to a turkey, some cranberry sauce for the others, and stuffing and mashed potatoes, and maybe some like bread, some sort of bread, like cornbread or something like that, and that was it. And I was completely, and to this day, I would be completely satisfied with that. So I yeah. I, I think I've I've kind of missed out But I was never a mac and cheese guy. I was never a cream. I think I have the palate of a 12-year-old, too,
2: (laughs) now that you mention it. Hey, those are the classics here, so you can't go wrong. I mean, if if that's what shows up, I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with it either. It's just, you know, I, I probably prefer the mac and cheese and that stuff. But hey, who doesn't?
1: Fair enough. Okay, Andrew Kim says, thankful for this show, makes my commute back home easier and gaining knowledge about DFS since I'm relatively new to it. Andrew, that's great. Um, Ask any questions. Tweet at us if you need to ask any questions. I've seen you on Twitter. I appreciate your support for this show. And you don't have to hit the like button because you, my friend, are driving. Okay, Ryan Johnson. If the movies take place during Christmas, it's a... See, that's the thing. I completely disagree. It's like... So what he says, for those of you listening, he says, if the movie takes place during Christmas, it's a Christmas movie. And Mike Chavez jumps in. He says, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. How How can the time... Like the fact that a Christmas tree is up in the movie and that it's during Christmas, I just don't understand how that's like the determining factor. As legal counsel, I would say like, okay, what are the factors that make a Christmas movie a Christmas movie? And time would be one of several factors, but it wouldn't be, it'd be one of like maybe 15 or 20 factors. And that's like just one. So, all right, I'm definitely, Ryan Johnson said, it's that simple. So Ryan, I will tell you, nothing is that simple. There is nothing in the world that is that simple. Everything requires a gray area and a breakdown in life and fantasy football. So let's get back to fantasy football, Frank. Um, Let me just touch a little bit more on this game. Obviously, Dak and CeeDee Lamb is a solid play. Obviously, throwing Dak and CeeDee Lamb and Tony Pollard is a solid play. I want you to keep in mind, however, that nobody's gonna play Zeke. I'm not saying you should play Zeke. I just want you to know that nobody's gonna play Zeke, and and I have a feeling everybody's going to be all over Pollard. 189 total yards, a couple touchdowns, has always looked like the better running back. And now the Cowboys are allowing him to prove it for once. But it's a Thanksgiving Day game. Last week was Zeke's first week back. And Jerry Jones does what Jerry Jones wants to do. So would it shock you coming off a a game where Tony Pollard got a lot of looks in a short week if the game plan was, we're going to play some Pollard, but it's going to be on this game that everybody's watching. I want everybody to know that we still believe in Zeke. So Zeke, you get 19 carries, you get a few receptions, and Pollard, you get you know 10 total carries and and two receptions as well. So you know, I'm not saying you should play Zeke instead of Pollard, but what I am saying is if you don't play Pollard, you're going to gain some leverage on the field, and then if you don't play Pollard and you add Zeke to that. Um, you're definitely going to get some leverage on the field. So those are just things to keep in mind. Am I playing Zeke? I mean, probably not. It depends how many lineups I'm playing, but probably not. Am I fading Pollard in some lineups? The answer is an unequivocal yes. I will play Pollard, of course, but there will be lineups that I'm just going to fade him and and maybe it'll be a Dak-Lamb stack with Dalton Schultz. And then I get the rest of my work done with that Bills game in terms of like skinny stacks and, and we're not skinny and fat stacks from that game and maybe a, a, a defense from the New England Minnesota game. If you if you had not already noticed, I'm not a big fan of that Minnesota uh, New England Patriots game, but obviously that means it'll probably be a nice contrarian spot. I do want to point out the Giants play very aggressive defense, a lot of blitzes, a lot of man coverage. And I want to point out that Adore Jackson is out. Xavier McKinney is out. Uh, I'm not sure. There's a couple other guys, Fabian Moreau. I'm not 100% sure what his status is, but this back end is damaged in a big way. And this could be the game where Dak decides to air it out. You know, I don't like, they don't really have to play the game that way, but it absolutely could be the game where he airs it out. I'll also say that Saquon Barkley is tough because if you're playing a Josh Allen stack, especially if it's with Stefan Diggs and maybe you run it back with Amon Ross St. Brown, it's really hard to get up to to that spot for him. So it's just something to consider when you're talking about Saquon. He might end up being a, a pretty nice contrarian play, especially coming off a bad game, because he is one of the more expensive guys on the slate here. I'd say the same for Justin Jefferson. I think a lot of the stacks are going to end up leaving Justin Jefferson out because he's expensive, and you can get really good teams without Justin Jefferson, and he's coming off a bad game, and there's some speculation that he's got some turf toe issues, which you know we need to look into as the, the days uh, progress up to Thursday. So, I, you know, it, it's very possible that because of the Josh Allen concentration, Barkley and Justin Jefferson don't get quite as much ownership. You know, they'll go Pollard, they'll go some of these other popular guys, but maybe these guys get left out a little bit more than they should. So that's certainly something to consider there. And Frank, I see you making a lineup. So let's see. Let's take a look at this. Oh, you, you X'd out of it. So you have Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Saquon, and the Patriots day. Okay. So what does that leave us? It only leaves us 4,600 left. So that tells you how hard it is to get Saquon Barkley. Cause even if you take some of those, those plays that like those sneaky sort of value plays, like Khalif Raymond, for example, who, if Josh Reynolds is out should get a, a lot of airtime, literally and figuratively, I, I, I think. You, okay. So you add Khalif Raymond, Richie James. So now you're doing two punt receivers. That's okay. And it still only leaves you with 5,100. So again, it really goes to show you that you add Hawkinson in there and, and you're still kind of strapped a little bit. Dalton Schultz with 3,800. That's that's making the lineup a little bit more palatable. I think this is suddenly a pretty decent lineup. But again, you're leaving out Justin Jefferson. This lineup doesn't have Tony Pollard. So these are things to consider. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's great to fade Tony Pollard in some of your lineups, but it just goes to show that if you play Josh Allen and you really want to stack him and you want to run him back with a on St. Brown, which this lineup doesn't even do, but you certainly can it limits you. Justin Jefferson and Saquon Barkley, really hard to get there. So you got to keep that in mind when you're trying to get weird in some of your lineups. Maybe you get off some of these guys and you play what, what um, Derek was talking about with Jared Goff, for example, or Daniel Jones. You take a shot. You can take a shot. Taking a shot on the Thanksgiving slate, not a bad thing to do. All right, let's go to the final game here. We have the Patriots and the Minnesota Vikings. This is, Patriots, is they're plus three. The total here is 42 and a half. Patriots have a great pass defense. They have a good rush defense. Uh, I think it's a downgrade to the Minnesota pass catchers. But again, that makes them contrarian likely on this slate. And imagine if you're going into this game and you faded a lot of that chalk that we talked about, whether it's Diggs or Josh Allen, or maybe even Tony Pollard, and you get to and we're assuming Justin Jefferson and guys like Dalvin Cook are healthy, but you get to coast into this game knowing that the entire field almost, or whatever, 50 to 60 to 70% of the field basically got a snowflake or an average performance out of some of those popular players and you still have Dalvin Cook left or, and, or you have Justin Jefferson left. Like, or or Ramondre Stevenson, who may or may not be popular. I, I wasn't big on Ramondre last week and I'm not so sure I'm going to be big on him this week. But this is the type of thing that this slate allows you to do. It allows you to like stack these players late and kind of go into that game knowing that you have a huge edge on the entire field who just played Josh Allen, who played Stefan Diggs, who played Tony Pollard and some of these guys. So definitely something to consider, at least with some of your lineups. Okay, I talked about the Patriots defense. It's a defense I'm going to be playing good against the pass, good against the run. I don't think they faced a ton of great quarterbacks. But then again, I don't know that Kirk Cousins is you know, qualifies as anything close to great at this point. And I think the pass rush really could get there against Kirk Cousins. And if it's anything like last week, it's going to be a bad scene. It might be a low scoring game. I will say this the Patriots weren't as bad as they looked against the Jets. Jets are a good defense, but the Patriots moved the ball a lot. They just they just couldn't cash in when they got to when they got to the to the red zone, the field goals. It was windy. Like there was a lot going on there. I, I think, listen, I don't want to play Mac Jones, but I, I think You could get different here with like maybe Jacoby Myers and maybe Damian Harris. Ramondre even might be a little less popular than he should because Damian looked to run really well. He was very efficient when he ran. The thing about Ramondre, the reason people are going to be on him, is he had six targets. He caught all six. We know Ramondre is more the pass catching back. But honestly, the way Damian Harris ran last week, it wouldn't surprise me at all if in this particular game, Damian Harris had an equal rush share for a one or two rush share greater than Ramondre Stevenson. And instead of Ramondre Stevenson getting the six catches on six targets, he gets three catches on three targets. And Damian Harris finds the end zone and also gets three catches. For the record, last game, he had two targets and two receptions. So these sort of sample sizes that we see, they're not necessarily conclusive of what we're, what we're about to see, especially knowing that Damian Harris is coming off injury. Now, is Ram- Ramondre St- Stevenson the better all-around running back? Well, Yeah. I think so. But Damian Harris is, is just not that. He's not like that guy that you're like, oh, you know, he's going to come, he's going to spell Ramondre when Ramondre's tired. Like, that's not the situation here. So I think Damian Harris is a very, very interesting contrarian play. I think Dalvin's going to end up being somewhat contrarian because people with the lineup constructions that we talked about aren't going to be able to pay up for him. I do really want to monitor Justin Jefferson's situation because if he's healthy, and again, I, I brought up that turf toe thing. I haven't really confirmed that. I, I really need to look into that a little bit more in terms of what his his practice looked like. Even if he plays, like I'm still worried about turf toe if it exists, even if it's a mild turf toe. Those things can be real big problems. But right now, I'm just speculating about it. So I just want to put that out there, something to monitor. But Justin Jefferson, even against a good defense, at home, even if he gets like only six or seven targets, which he's likely to get way more than that, I mean, that could be two house calls. That could be 120 yards and two house calls, if not more. So Justin Jefferson is one of those guys. And I think Dalvin is too. And I think Dalvin would have exploded last week if the game was manageable by the Vikings. It just wasn't. I think both of those guys are in play as somewhat contrarian plays. Let's not forget, they're coming off a bad game. They were completely embarrassed. Cook Cousins doesn't look good. It's the lowest total. Like how many people are clamoring to play Justin Jefferson or Dalvin Cook over some of the guys we mentioned in the 45 and a half point total game with the sexy players of Dak Prescott and Tony Pollard in the 54 point game, with, of course, Josh Allen and even some of those Detroit players. I'm not really going to be on Jamal Williams or DeAndre Swift, but guys like Amon Mal St. Brown or the value of Khalif Raymond, there's so many players in that game, Diggs, Gabe Davis, people aren't going to get here. And I get it, but this is how you get weird. This is how you get contrarian. Um, I think, Frank, do you, I, I don't know if you want to hop on, Is do you have a play in, in any of these three games where you're like, I just really like this play. I, I might I might lock in this contrarian play or I'm just all over this particular stack. Is it going to be just Josh Allen and you, you work it out from there or are you thinking maybe you go to Dak, maybe you go to Gall?
2: It's actually the opposite. My first thought seeing the slate was Daniel Jones, going Jones and, and mm-hmm. Darius Slate and something like that. I mean, I think you'll be able to save some money, as you mentioned, with like a Hodgins or a Richie James, assuming he's healthy to go and should play in that slot role now that Wondell Robinson is out for the season unfortunately, because Robinson looks like a pretty good player. But Daniel Jones, I mean, what he offers with the rushing, he has at least 20 rushing yards in every game but one this season. That helps add to his overall value. And and if you want to pay up for other spots, running back, wide receiver, you got to save money, right? So I think if you Mm -hmm. can get some kind of Daniel Jones or Darius Slayton with one of those Lions wide receivers, if it's a Josh Reynolds or Khalif Raymond or spend down at tight end and then – all right. All of a sudden, we've got some money to spend. You know, you can get like a Stefan Diggs or a Justin Jefferson, and you spend up for your running backs like a Ramondre or Tony Pollard. That's mm-hmm. that's the that's like the GPP build that I'm looking at right now is Daniel Jones playing from behind in that game, and then I'll be able to spend up at like Stefan Diggs and a bunch of running backs. So, yeah,
1: I totally agree on on this slate you know you can't just play Josh Allen and be like okay I'm good at the quarterback position you got to get a little creative so I I think the Daniel Jones stack listen it's tournaments right so this is the whole thing well we get questions all the time on this show about player pools and things like that and I talk about how I hand build Mike McClure doesn't but I talk about how my player pool is is really concentrated it's really narrow and because I want to hit big I want to hit big when I'm when I'm doing well and, and if I don't do well, then I I know I'm going to be like close to last place or, or something in that neighborhood. And I think this is a slate where you need to take the chance on being like last place or first place. And First of all, that's the tournament strategy like every week. But this particular week when you know everybody just wants to gravitate to guys like Josh Allen or Diggs or Tony Pollard, it just makes sense to play some of those lineups with Jared Goff or with Daniel Jones and one of those low-cost receivers. Then figure out the game scope, right? Go back up to that Bills game. And maybe take a pass catcher, because you certainly can afford it, and take Devin Singletary and hope that one pass catcher goes off and Devin Singletary goes off. And then you take one pass catcher or one running back on the Detroit side. And, you know, you're good. As long as Daniel Jones makes good, you know, you've got a pretty wise roster construction. So, yeah, I think Daniel Jones is, is a pretty pretty smart way to get different here. And I, I do think, I think it was Derek Graham's question, I do think um, Jared Goff is, is interesting at home.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, that is the biggest total on the slate by far. Fifty-four point total right now between the Lions and the Bills. The other two games forty four and a half, and then the night game forty two and a half. That is a huge disparity. So I think, you know, you want to load up on as many pieces from that first game as you possibly can, within reason, obviously, and then just kind of pick and choose like a Daniel Jones or, you know, a cheap Giants wide receiver or something like that. Like Dalton Schultz is pretty cheap again, like thirty eight hundred. So I think that's what I'm looking at right now. And just remember, Sia, people are very reactionary to what they just saw last week. What did we just see? The Giants got destroyed against the Lions, and the Cowboys destroyed the Vikings. So everyone's mind is going to be, oh, you know, like, that's that's what we should expect again. Divisional matchup, Thanksgiving. Brian Dable's done a really, really good job with the Giants this year. I think they're going to be up for this game. I think it's going to be more competitive than people think.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a nine and a half point total. That, that That's pretty high now that I think about it. I didn't realize the um the spread was, was that high. But yeah, I totally agree. There's a lot of game scripts in this game that can make Daniel Jones viable regardless. If Dallas gets up early, Daniel Jones doesn't perform the Kirk Cousins. He starts running and he starts peppering guys underneath and just piling up yards. Let's not forget 27 for 44 last week for 341 yards. It's pretty good. And and you really you only have to pick a couple receivers that he's going to pass to him. And obviously Saquon Barkley is somewhat in the conversation, but it, it appears to me that it's Darius Slayton, it's Richie James, it's maybe like Isaiah Hodgins. I don't think Galladay's really in the conversation and, and you call it a day. If you're right on Daniel Jones producing with his arm and legs, and you're right in in terms of picking the right receiver, um, you've got something at that price in terms of points per dollar. So
2: and those guys yeah. are so cheap to you where they don't need to go off to pay off their value, right? If That's Slayton right. just does what he's been doing, if he goes, you know, five for sixty, you know, obviously you want more of a ceiling game than that. If Richie James gives you three for thirty, that means you have one of Stephon Diggs or Justin Jefferson or both of those guys in your lineup. So again, you don't need huge outcomes from those cheap players. You just need them to be okay. And then obviously you need the the ceiling games from from the stars in your lineup.
1: Absolutely, and uh, Robert Picciano says uh, McClure has best bet on Dallas under forty-five. You are probably a sports line subscriber, so props to you. Or you watch the Early Edge, um, so that's interesting. And I think that would be maybe the conventional wisdom that the Dallas Cowboys just run the ball because they they think they can, and, and there's you know time of possession, just the the clock gets worked over and over again. But again, that's sort of the conventional thought. In tournaments, we're thinking of alternative. Game scripts, right? So, even if this is like a really strong play by really strong cappers like Mike McClure, there are alternate game scripts that that are viable regardless of, of what we think may or may not happen. So, you always want to consider that, even if you don't necessarily agree with the game script, as long as the game script is different from what you think everybody else is going to do, you know, now you've got something. So, Frank, I, I think that's our show. Did I miss anything?
2: No, it sounds good to me. I did have one more question on the diehard front. So, I will ask you this mm-hmm. Does music play a factor? into determining whether a movie is a Christmas movie or not.
1: It does, I'll admit that, and there is some Christmas music. I'm remembering the end when like, everybody's bloodied and bruised and they've got that, that song on. Argyle is playing Christmas and Hollis in the limousine. Come on, man. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> is that Run-DMC?
2: That is, I believe that is Run-DMC, yep.
1: And there was something that had some credibility in the chat, He, um, I think it was Ryan Johnson. Somebody said, Oh, it was uh, Jared Bowling, who's watching 10 minutes behind. So you'll hear this in 10 minutes. He says, Die Hard is 100% a Christmas movie. Without the Christmas party, there is no movie. That's an interesting point. So th- that is really digging deep, Jared. And I actually respect that answer. And I'm starting to soften a little bit. Listen, I'm I'm open. I'm not one of those guys that's so stubborn that, that I'm just gonna be like, I'm right and you're wrong. It does really start with, but it, like, okay. So like, just real quick on this. When I think of Christmas movie, what do I think? Obviously I'm thinking like, I mean, Home Alone to me is like a Christmas movie, but I guess if I think Home Alone's a Christmas movie, then maybe I have to think Die Hard's a Christmas movie.
2: There are strong themes of family, trying to save your family throughout the movie. I don't know. Yeah, because I think the
1: classic, so I mean, this is where I get hung up. The classic movie like that is a Christmas movie, of course, is like, whatever, I might be butchering this name, Miracle on 34th Street or or whatever it is. Like Those are just like, everything is Christmas. And when I see like violence and, you know, death and all this, I'm like, well, I mean, that's not really a Christmas. Like I'm not sitting down with my kids and watching Die Hard. It's not a Christmas movie. <laughs> I'll watch a Christmas movie with them, but they're not watching Die Hard. And if my kids can't watch it, I'm afraid it's not a Christmas movie. But I'm I'm starting to be convinced here. You guys, I'm an attorney, as everybody knows. These are very valid arguments. And I, and I got to go back and I got to write my brief in response to Jared's and Frank's and Derek's and Ryan and everybody else that that uh made comments on this and we'll send i'll send my brief over to the fft guys and uh, i know adam's going to be on my side i think he's a no on the christmas movie but i believe everybody else is
2: he's a big no he's a big no on the
1: christmas diehard side
2: if i've said it before i'll say it again
1: adam's the best adam you're the best all right and i think we're the best dfs show this is fantasy football today dfs what we're gonna do thursday we have our slate if you guys a lot of people have been sort of messaging me and i don't always have the right answers so you know, just take that for for what it is. But I'm happy to message you back and give you my opinion. Some people are tweeting at me. Some people are messaging me. Sometimes I don't see it right away, but if I see it, I'm I'm gonna respond to it. And hopefully, I'm giving you the right answer. But I do want to say that Thursday, as we enjoy this light, don't forget the late swap thing. You know, all those strategy sort of nuggets we talked about, including like the super basic ones. Don't put a a morning guy in your in your flex spot. All those things. Keep in mind if you forgot them, just go back to the beginning of uh, not the show, but beginning of the Thanksgiving. Uh, And we'll have time codes on the show. We'll go back to the beginning of the Thanksgiving part of this. And uh, you'll be able to see there's like five or six things that I put out there that I think are actually pretty important. Uh, But with that said, enjoy Thanksgiving. And we're going to be here Friday. It's going to be me and Mike McClure. We're going to be going over the week 12 slate. I'm really excited to do that. The fact that we get two slates is really cool, especially knowing that we're on the back nine of this football season, which is like kind of crazy, kind of makes me a little depressed. But hopefully we're all really happy next Tuesday because we're going to see a bunch of green screens and we're going to do really well this week. So um, this is Sia Najad. You saw Frank Stample doing the production and doing some of the commentary, of course. Uh, Thank you for hitting the like button. We did get a, a handful of likes. Try to make sure you do that Friday at noon when we come on. Until Friday, happy Thanksgiving.